You are listening to the League of Unextraordinary Gentlemen with Brent and Jerry. A podcast about writing by two guys who never have. All right, so here we are. It's like, uh, what? This is going to be episode 15 and three quarters. 15 and three quarters. Now, okay. for, our, uh, for our esteemed audience, we've been gone a while. Uh, it wouldn't have been as long if I had remembered to hit the record button yep. on, uh, on our recording. But, uh, yeah, that failed to happen. So yep. here we are Wednesday, the uh, was it 16th, 15th? The 14th of 14th. December 2011, and just in case the next one's a little bit later than planned. Well, this one should come out tonight. Okay, <laughs> gonna, all right. I'll get this one up. So let's let's go over, let's do our business items that we did last time. And um, So the first thing is that uh, we're going to, we, as they probably heard today, we already changed the, the intro. Yay! Okay. Went, went cool. from the little comedy routine we had going on, which was a little long. Yeah. It was thirty seconds. You're never gonna let me live that down. Thirty seconds is fine for an intro. Well, yeah. I guess that's something I should have asked. The joke's over. Yeah. Now, it's because just... of the time shifting thing here, we're talking about this now, and I haven't yet put the beginning together that they just listened to. Yeah. <clears throat> should I make it twenty seconds? Yeah, thirty seconds might be okay. It's just it was the same joke. Oh, yeah, that's the problem. I mean, right. it was a good joke, but, you know, after you heard the same joke 40 times, it ceases to be a joke. Right, like this joke, this joke here. <laughs> right. What do you have when you're holding two small green balls in your hand? I don't know. Kermit's undivided attention. There we go. Yeah, that's actually kind of funny. I'm <clears throat> trying yeah. hard not to smile at it. Yeah, yeah, I know. Would there run our clean rating? What? Didn't use any bad words. <laughs> um, and then the next thing, uh, you know, I, is I, we talked about again on Sunday. I, this has always been a season one, right? Yeah. And I mentioned before on previous podcasts, I later in time I went back and said, oh, you know, if I did this by season, I could have done some different things. So I put the season pre, uh, uh, pre-baked into this yep. with no clear idea what a season one or a season two was going to be. So I think what we decided is we're going to do season one is year one, season yep. two is year two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think that'll be good. So <clears> after the, the new year, it'll be season two. It'll be season two, and maybe we'll change up the music or something. Right. Yeah. So start looking for music clips that yep. we can use because you know that's kind of a difficult thing to do. Mm, yeah. <clears throat> it, it took me long enough to find what I found. Right. Um. Okay. So. Uh, well, let's let's wrap up everything from NaNoWriMo, where we happened. You, uh, what about you? Where'd you end up at? I ended up at uh, about thirty-four thousand words. Um, real life interfered and pretty much chopped a week out of my writing, and uh, you know that that taught me quite a few things. Uh, not only the ability of real life to screw things up, <clears throat> which you know I think pretty much everybody knows, but we all have to learn once in a while. But uh, mostly, you know, that I can really do it, that I can really write. 34,000 words, you know, I spent the entire summer writing 10, you know, and then in basically three work, three weeks worth of effort, I put out 34,000 words. Right. <clears throat> that was what I learned the first time at yeah. Animal, that 50K a month is not really that hard. No. No, I think it's, uh, it's not a sustainable average for me at this time, but I think it's something that I can wrap up to. 
ramp up to. Well, it's like running. You got to work your. I mean, you yep. the goal's there. You now have the. You know, it's like we're running a five k. You did the three k, and you're like, wow, it's not all that much harder to go to the five k. Right. You know, at uh, at this point, I figure I can probably ride about half that sustainably, um, and that's pretty much what I've been on track for since then. Mm. So you know, riding. An average of you know 500 to 700 words a day, um, with a, a handful of days missing and uh, you know some days going longer. Um, it seems to be that it's pretty easy for me to write a scene a day, right? Um, and that's just the the scene length determines how many words I'm writing in a day. Well, again, the first draft the scene can be as long as it needs to be in the right. first draft, and then second and third and fourth you go back and expand it or contract it. So really, I, I'm, I'm less, I mean, even though I'm watching word count, mm-hmm. I'm not concerned about word count Right. in I'm my not, first uh, draft. I'm not really aiming at it. No, I'm just trying to tell the story. Um, you know, a scene is as long. Some of my scenes are short, you know, but it is as long as it needs to be. Um, I had one scene that was, you know, going on 2,000 words. And uh, at that point, I realized it was starting to lose focus. Um, so I, I wrapped it up, but it wasn't terribly long compared to what it should have been. It just, you know, I started started losing focus at, for the ending of the scene. I'm right. Starting to move away where the ending of the scene was supposed to go to, so I, I kind of did a little sidestep and got right to it. Um, during a rewrite, that may end up being two scenes. Right. Um, on the other hand, it may just be trimmed down to a 1,500-word scene. Um, but uh, I find the the unit of a scene to be an easy unit to write in uh, because your your mind is on track for a scene. You know, it's like everything's happening all together. You know, I'm not worried about the whole length of the plot or character development. I'm just worried about the scene getting. Right. Know, it's like this is one thing that's happening. And then you can piece all that other stuff together, right. the character development stuff. Like in mine, um, I have that, there's an element of mystery to it. So if you read the first draft out, the mystery is laid bare. Mm-hmm. It's easy for you. I'll go back and slowly cover the mystery up and yep. add some misdirection and other things that will fool the reader or may not, depending on how astute they are, so that the mystery is, is properly taken care of. Right. And some of my scenes, you know, they are character development scenes, you know, plot development or action or whatever. But they um, they are, you know, set up in scenes, pieces of them. You know, so it's not, uh, I guess it, it's the, you know, I, I get to build a tree without having to worry about the whole forest. Right. You know, that's the, to stretch the metaphor sideways. So I uh, I actually finished NaNoWriMo. Yeah. Uh, so I have around eighty thousand words to the novel. Yeah. Uh, all of it, all most of what I wrote, is going to have to be significantly fixed. Um, I was concerned about production at that point, mm-hmm. uh, which is fine. It means I've got a good chunk of the novel down, and then I can go back and do the pruning, the trimming, and the shaping uh, to get it where I want it to be. So there's still a lot of work left. Yep. Yeah, I have a lot, too, as far as work goes. Some of the scenes I originally wrote over the summer don't really fit anymore. Um, yeah, you've changed stride a little bit, too. Right. You know, now that I've finally discovered my main character, you know, uh, who he truly is, uh, then, you know, some of the 
earlier scenes need to change viewpoint. Right. Um, and then my viewpoint issue, we talked about that in a, a previous episode. Did we talk about that in an episode? <clears throat> I know we talked about it. Yeah, we talked about it. Point. Maybe we didn't. But um, I may have to rewrite a lot of the scenes to align them to whatever viewpoint I decide to tell it in. Have you decided that then? Because I will we'll bring it up to speed real quick. You were telling it from the kid's point of view. And you were doing third point, third person omniscient, weren't you? Right. And yeah. now you're thinking it might be third person limited. Yeah. Where it's always through the eyes of uh, the sapphire. Uh, well, of a character. Or uh, the character of the chapter, right. Right. Everything is, is colored through that one character's eyes. Kind of like what yep. George R.R. R. Martin does. Yep. Uh, Very similar. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, to... to Ally myself with him. Yeah. yeah to get, well, yes, George and I use very similar viewpoints. Well, for, for <laughs> I don't know, I don't really know the demographics of who listens. If these right. are writers themselves or literary, literary astute people, but third person limited is a technique. There's many of them, and yep. or not many. There's they're there. It's just that not many people for some reason do third person limited. I find third person limited to be very easy and simple to do. It seems to be a lot of people fall into the omniscient category. Omniscient is easier to write. Um, I think I remember that from way back in high school writing classes. And I'm told that, but it's never been easy for me. Yeah, see, I, I read a lot of science fiction as well back in the days, especially making up little stories. That, you know, it, uh, you're you're able to set scenes as if you're a movie director. You know, where there aren't any characters going on. You know, you got just. You know, every you know some some you know um, omniscient person watching, you know everything unfold, and the uh, the omniscient thing also works in where you want to show what people are thinking. You know, when you're locked into a character, you can only show that one person's thoughts. Right. You can you know you can indicate it's like you know the the other person was frowning, so perhaps you know he was thinking something, but you don't know because you're another person. You're going from that character. Um, first person seems to be fairly popular, but it's difficult for me to do that. I think um, I think first person is probably the most difficult because you have to show everything from that one character's viewpoint. And some things happen outside of their view. Some things happen that aren't around them. So yeah, there are some books. There are books that do first person pretty good or the whole story is based off of it and then they'll do this chapter from a third person point of view and now they just broke character right yeah and some people look at books as like movies or or artwork that well the the author is trying to do this thing and it's like no he just broke he just broke the reality he was creating for me by doing it that way and depending on how good the story is or or if you like that author you can forgive them for it Mm -hmm. and move on with it but for me, it just it completely. Ah, what'd you just do? I was into it. Now, yeah, now I'm out. Yeah. Um, I've read uh, a lot of the young adult series tend to orient towards the, the first person, but I've noticed that um, you know because they're character driven, the the third person perspective um, often happens as well. As soon as you have an ensemble cast right. for the book, um, which is. Kind of what I have. Um, so far, I have um, I have scenes with Sapphire in them that aren't from his viewpoint. Um, I'm not sure whether I will get rid of those or not. But, but that could be good. Those yeah. could be good because if you want, 
it, it, it establishes character for one mm -hmm. uh, through the eyes of other people. And as we've learned uh, from Scott Card, Orson Scott Card, yep. uh, the best way to establish your character's personality is from somebody else. Right. Um, so you might want to keep those. Yep. Like I have a, a fight scene between Sapphire and the Shadow Creature. And uh, it's from the Shadow Creature's perspective, and the Shadow Creature doesn't think very much of Sapphire. <laughs> Oh, well, you still want to, well. I'm not gonna tell you, but yeah. still, those are reasons why you right. want to yeah, do it. Could, well, no, I mean that you know that could be a good thing. You know, he's, it's like I can either have, you know, I can either go to Sapphire's perspective and show him being frustrated, you know, um, and then make somewhat more of a mystery of the shadow creature, or I can go to this you know arrogant, sleazy shadow creature's perspective and and have him you know just not respecting Sapphire as in you know I've I've. I fought warriors better than him. It's like, oh, this is bad. I'm not really ready for it at the moment. So, you know, right. prank and that kind of thing. Right. Um, I could have easily blocked that if I had wanted to. <clears throat> yeah, well, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, he's just like, uh, I didn't have time to prepare. He surprised me. Right, right. Oh, he was dishonorable. Attacked me with my sword down. Yeah, well, yeah, not even in that degree. <laughs> that's, the, that's the type of thing, you know. Um, but where I can s still show Sapphire from someone else's perspective, um, and then you know I can make him, I can make him a bit more of a buffoon at that point if I wanted to, you know. Um, Sapphire, I think I've said before, is a bit of a geek. He's a geek in the fairy world, and um, you know, showing him, so showing some of his flaws is, is uh, I think, a good way to illustrate that. But it's very difficult to do from his own perspective because we don't often see our own flaws. Now, something else I want to bring up here is uh, you are as close to a Luddite friend as I have, even though you're not. Mm -hmm. And I mean by Luddite is that either by because you don't have the money or because you just don't have the desire or the motivation, you're one of the few people I know that has not gotten an ebook yet. Right. But you're now thinking about it. Oh, I am, yeah. Uh, I'm curious. What, what and this is not the, the Brent... Uh, episode, but it, I mean, you just dovetail nicely into it. <clears throat> what caused you to make that decision, and is it going to change how you read books? Like, are you going to stop buying physical books? I will not stop buying physical books. Um, it's pretty much totally a financial thing. Uh, I can get a, uh, a Kindle Touch for $100. Uh, it comes with advertising at that point. But uh, I don't mind that so much. Now, $100 worth of paperback books will get me 12. All right? So that's 12 paperback books. Now, if I can buy um, a bunch of books for half that cost, $4 instead of the $8 of a paper book, um, then I, I will save money over time. And 24 books is not very many books for me. Well, you will, you'll, I mean, to, to play devil's advocate a little bit, from an economist's point of view, uh, and I don't mean just someone who studies the economy, one who studies buyers yeah. and the philosophy of buying, you are actually going to spend more than just 100 bucks for the Kindle because you know, every book you buy adds to that price. What I think you're saying is the books are going to become cheaper. Right. And, and it's hard to price that even, price the value, 
Um, as I even today at work, I was talking to somebody about eBooks because they're trying to figure out which one to buy, and he said, "Oh, but the books are always cheaper." And I'm like, "Eh, not no. necessarily." Right. And he goes, "Why aren't there free ones?" I said, "Yes, if you like to read the classics, mm-hmm. the classics are free." Oh no, I, I'm not going to read those. Like, well, then you're not talking about free. Right. And then we discussed about ninety-nine cent books, dollar ninety-nine, <clears throat> two ninety-nine. I said, "Still, the bottom line is, is if you want good books, you're going to pay for it, and it's not everything's going to be ninety-nine cents." That is a false, a false mentality. But like you just said, you certainly aren't going to pay twenty four ninety nine. Now there are twenty four ninety nine books like Steve Jobs' autobiography went up, and it was the same price for the paperback. Yeah, and some actually, or the hardback. Yeah, some of the the, you know, the Kindle editions are more expensive. Um, for instance, I was looking at because uh, <clears throat> I'm ashamed to say I don't actually have a copy of Atlas Shrugged. Um, I've read it. Mm, Twice, I think, but I don't actually have a copy. And so I said, you know, that'd be a good thing to have, a, you know, be a good first book to put on my Kindle. And um, so I went and looked at it. It's like it's twelve ninety nine. I can get the paperback for seven ninety nine. Yep. And the hardcover is sixteen ninety nine. That one's not going to go on my Kindle. Well, if you if you look harder, I bet you I think it's in the Gutenberg project. What you buy, see there. There was a period of time, and I bet you it still is, where a book like Atlas Shrugged had a lot of different prices based on who published it, based on uh, what the advertising on the cover was. Like, I bet you see the 50th or 30th anniversary of Atlas Shrugged cover. Um, So the publishers are definitely playing games with how much ebooks are costing. Right. And this is, and not to give it a plug, but this is why I prefer the iPad, because I can have all ebook stores on there. I've got the Nook, I've got Amazon, I've got uh, Kobo, and I've got Apples. Mm-hmm. And I can shop the bookstores, and I will find the best price between them all. Because yeah. a book like Atlas Shrugged, I, I think anyone can publish it. I think the rights are out now. Uh, so something like that. Well, I thought but, like the Gutenberg project only went up to like 1903 or something. No, there's still, it goes up about a little higher than that. Mm-hmm. I can find... Uh, it depends, but I, I found some old... I know there was a Google grab where they just tried to grab everything that was out of copyright and grabbed everything. They, period. They, yeah. That that was more hype than it was than it's not. Google just wanted to put it on searchable. Yeah. You can't get those books downloaded. Mm-hmm. I don't believe. I've never been able to do it in any case. But uh, anyway, so yeah. Well, the idea the idea was that there are books that I want to buy that I cannot afford. Uh, to to spend eight or twelve dollars on, because I'm not sure whether I'm going to like them. Now, for a book that I know I'm going to like and I intend to read multiple times, I'll still buy a hardcover of that. Right. Um, especially for books in series that I already have the the hard copies of. You know, like um, the rest of the Wheel of Time series. It's like I've got the first eleven. I'm not as well. Stop! I'm gonna get twelve and thirteen yeah. in the same format. Yeah, there's still some books like uh, <clears throat> Daniel Suarez, uh, George Martin. I want. Mm-hmm. I I'll buy Jail Born. I'll buy the hard book, the physical book, the audio book, and the ebook. Yeah, just because I like the author that much, and I like the stories that much. Right now, you see, I'm I'm looking at you know using the same amount of dollars um, to buy more books. Exactly. You know, your buck is going to go further when you talk about ebooks. Right. But and as you uh, saw, you have to be kind of, 
You have to be careful. It's not you have a. To be careful. It's right. not an easy. I mean, it, like you saw with Hatter Shrugged. The only reason why it's so so expensive now is because of its popularity again. Right. So yeah, they're clearly cashing in. Yeah. Um, and I can't blame them. I guess I would too. That's the, the premise of it, anyways. Um, but I mean, come on. That's that's too much of a price differential for me to say you're doing anything but gouging. Because right. every dollar they make, they do that is is money in their pockets. Yep. Certainly not a cost of. Yeah, the uh, the other type of book that I'm looking mm-hmm. is uh, convenient reference types books. Oh yeah, things that I want to refer to all the time. Yep. Um, you know, stuff that I'm always going to be looking at. You know, not necessarily reference books, but references for me. Oh yeah, like my favorite hobby magazines are in PDF, and I can load them up on there. So I've got like, yeah. uh, well, Games Workshops, White Dwarf, White Dwarfs. Yeah. I've got like the last ten years of PDFs on my iPad. Yep. There you go. Yep, and you know I can create my own PDFs to carry them around and that kind of thing. And you can turn your book into it, and you can definitely test your book out and see how it looks on there. And that's that's uh, definitely a when look you at that. when you have the doldrums, you can just pull up the oh, my book is on Kindle. Yeah, <laughs> even if it's only on mine. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, that uh, that's one of the reasons. The other big thing is the price point. It's down to hundred bucks. So what do you think about, uh, the, and we talked about this on Sunday, so everyone's going to think, wow, they, they, they already did it once, but they got some good topics, yeah, because they're recycling. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Sunday we had talked a little bit about uh, plagiarism and the ebook piracy and the spam books that are happening. Right. Um, I, I don't know. I, I've said it before. I don't know how much I've said about piracy on this before. We're now at like 15 episodes, so it's getting hard to remember. Mm-hmm. But again, I Jerry Purnell, one both of our one of our favorites uh, sci-fi authors, yeah. he benefit a lot of authors like Purnell, older ones have benefited from piracy. His books have not been available for years, and they started to get pirated like crazy. Yeah. And he that showed that there was a market, so he got his books republished in, in digital format, and now he's making you know he's getting some money off that again. Right. I, it, even like, uh, for instance, for me, one book, uh, uh, Transparent Society by David Brin, mm-hmm. brilliant book that I forgot to bring you again. Okay. I could not find it forever. Found it on Amazon, used, bought it. Now I have the hard copy. Read it several times. I want the digital copy. Mm-hmm. It's shame for me. I found a PDF version of it, put it on my iPad. Now I got the PDF and I can reference it whenever I want. And then, uh, and on Amazon, this is what's brilliant about Amazon. You got there, you got a little link that says, Tell the publisher I want this in ebook. Every time I, I would look fastidiously, dutifully, year after year, look to make sure that book was coming up. And I would, every time I'd push, I want an ebook, one ebook. And then a couple months ago, it was on ebook. Yep. Bought it, downloaded it. So I, I have two minds of this. Again, coming from, I, I studied some economics, the philosophy, not the market thing, but. Mm-hmm. To me, it's clear that there's a benefit in some form that piracy has. You know, it shows that there's a need for it. Now, what I disagree with, and I, but I can't separate myself that, yeah, I probably do track some money, but mm-hmm. I think that's a big unknown you don't really know right. until you put your book out there to be sold. Because there is a large segment of those people that probably would have never read your book if they had to pay for it. Right. And so if they're reading it, they're going to talk about it. And by and large, I'm a technical savvy kind of guy. 
there are far many more people that are not, and they don't even know how to turn on a computer, let alone uh, torrent a file. Right. So they're not going to do that. But if I did it, for example, and I said, hey, you need to read uh, Blah Blah Blah's book. It's really good. Oh, where do I find it? Well, eh, just going up to the store and buy it. Because most people that, as I found, most people that uh, uh, do piracy a lot, they don't talk about it, and they don't help you do it. Right. They don't. They're kind of a closed people. They believe well, I did it. You should be able to do it too. Go mm-hmm. forward. Have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I know people that uh, pirate TV shows and movies on a regular basis. One guy has like 15 layers of encryption on his uh, computer, and it's, like, it's to the point where it takes him nearly, you know, five minutes just to turn the thing on, just because you know he's got all these pirated movies on him. Oh, he's still going to get caught. I mean, the well, encryption's yeah. not going to help. Right, I know. But, you know, the, it's just, uh, you know, he's, he's pirates movies that much. And it's like, he, he won't pay for a movie. You know, so he's got these movies that are, uh, you know, like handheld cams. So he's got people, like, coughing in the background and not oh. color. <laughs> oh, so because that was the first one that came out and stuff like that. And, you know, and We're talking really bad pirate <laughs> movies. Right, you just know, not a ripoff CD. Right, yeah, and um, he he will not buy a copy of the movie. So you know, if he pirated my book, I'm not losing any money because I know he's never going to buy that book. Right, he, right. I mean, he never would. Um, you know, and uh, I think a lot of people that pirate stuff are like that. The only reason they pirate it is because they can. It's not a conscious decision to say. It costs too much money, or I don't want to support, you know, the uh, like for music. I don't want to support the RIAA, you know, um, that kind of thing. They're just, you know, they're just doing it because they can. Right, because they're convenient. Because particularly with movies and music, there are far better ways, productive ways, to stick it to the RIAA and Hollywood without pirating something. Right, there are far more better ways to do it. Like you could support independent musicians. Mm-hmm. For one, you could support independent filmmakers for for another. Yeah. Um, flat out not paying for a movie is kind of silly. Yeah, it's like uh, you know consuming ourselves to a, to a better tomorrow. It's like yeah, it, it's a nice illusion, but it doesn't actually work. And it doesn't support the fact that data should be. I mean, I'm not saying I'm an I'm an open I'm an open society kind of guy, mm-hmm. but clearly there is a benefit. To having data to be free for the most part, mm-hmm. um, yeah. But I, I mean, think artists should be paid for what they do. I right. yeah. even though uh, I kind of I don't think anyone should dictate someone's salary. I do think some people make far too much money for what they do. Right. But again, if we're going to be the sheep to let ourselves get milked for it, then <laughs> right. So what? We're the ones deciding to pay the money. But uh, yeah, that's kind of silly. And, yeah, I know. It's like uh, we had, uh, you know, the the recent uh, NBA lockout thing. Um, I heard somebody complaining that his four thousand dollar a year season tickets were almost useless. Right, right. Because it went on for so long. It's like, what? Where? You know, it's like you're spending four thousand dollars a year for these tickets. You know, these people want to divvy up that money. It's like if you were really serious. Don't spend four thousand dollars a year on it. Right. If you really wanted to get back at them. Right. Um, so, you know, piracy has a certain aspect like that. Um, 
I don't think it's going to be a major issue because uh, right now what I've seen for pirated books is they are almost always of lesser quality. Yep. That probably won't always be the case. Well, it isn't always the case. I mean, yeah. you can... I've seen uh, EPUB files that are... EPUB and Mobi files and all these files that are darn good. They look exactly like they're getting... Some guys are getting better on it. Uh, but there's an element to this piracy thing that kind of concerns me that you brought up last week. There was the, uh, the plagiarism thing. Yeah. Yeah. They're, uh, right now, because it does, there's really no cost to publishing, you know, once, you have, once you have a publishable work, there's no cost to actually publish it. So let's say I, uh, I get a cheap cover, you know, that I, because I'm a pirate, I just copy it off of some artist gallery site, uh, slap some text on it, you know, that fits, make up a fictitious pseudonym, and then, uh, you know, call it uh, Atlas Burped, you know. Right, and, alter the title uh, a little. And... Yeah, and, and the name is Anne Rind, you know, and, and I shove it out there with uh, this, you know, Greek statue, you know, post, you know, picture from some weird website, and I literally copy the inside of her book. Yeah. Every page, straight off of an e-published version, I just shove it out there. And, uh, you know, her book was published in, you know, five different categories. I hit the other 23. Yeah. You know, it's now under, you know, young adult fiction and vampire movies and whatever. And, uh, and it's splattered out there for 99 cents each. And, yeah. You know, and uh, it doesn't cost me anything to do that except for a little bit of time. And uh, if I do that with 20 books a day, you know, what if I only get three or four hits? All right, that's three or four dollars a day I got for practically no effort. Right. Yeah, that bugs me. That concerns me because yeah. I you read a, I read a lot that that new authors trying to make a breakout should give their first two or three chapters out for free mm-hmm. to put them on your website, let people download it. I have a problem with that philosophically, but I don't. It's like I don't distrust the model because I've seen it work. Right. I can see it. Uh, I see Conrath give away free books. It happens. I mean, Brand, Brandon Sanderson does it like you wouldn't believe. Mm-hmm. And his books, the one book, he gave all the drafts out. You know, like the first, second, third, fourth, fifth draft, so people could wow. see the evolution of it, how a novel is actually built. That's that's courageous. Yeah. <laughs> that's what his publisher and editor said. Yeah. And what happened is that the book sells as a final copy. Um, so it, clearly that model works. But this like plagiarism thing really kind of concerns me a little. Yeah. Because then, as a no name like me, it makes it very easy to do, and then I'm the one having to fight. Right. Um, for for somebody that has an established name, it's not going to hurt that much because people are going to search by the name. They might search by the title and get it, and it's like I don't recognize this. Wasn't it supposed to be by somebody famous? And uh, they may lose a couple sales that way, but I don't think it'll be a large one. Um, but what I would fear from it is like, you know, I'm a, I'm a no-name, you know, what if the pseudonym gets more hits than the legit copy? Right, right, because you're selling it for two ninety nine, and he's selling it for $0.99. Cents. Right. Clearly, he's going to beat you in price. Now, um, and, and what if, you know, what if he, you know, what if his come up sooner? It's kind of like uh, all those uh, silly companies that used to average in the Yellow Pages. AAA this, AAA this, ABC this, AA this, you know, they were all, you know, aiming to be at the very front of the listing. Right, because it was done alphabetically. Um, same kind of thing, you know. If there, there's an algorithm out there, I'm sure that generates, you know, who ends up on the top of the page, um, and I'm certain that can be gained to some extent. Well, you mean on top of a Google search? 
Well, on, on top of the the Amazon search, I think it's done by ratings and by there's it's a lot of things based on what but history what of what you buy. Brand new thing. Well, <coughs> you well, you have to promote your book first. Right. So you put it up there, and you might get a couple people who randomly say, "Yeah, I'm gonna spend a buck on this. Let's see what it's like." Yeah. Without this piracy thing, and then you'll start generating comments like that. But you have to market your book. Like one author I follow, uh, Jack Murphy. Uh, is a former special forces soldier who's been writing a couple of books, so and he pushes things a lot on Facebook, and he's now writing on, writes on a couple blogs. Uh, so you know you generate a following there, and then people are like, well, we'll read your book and see, and then I'll make a comment, and then all that kind of ties in together. So now your books get the ratings and gets the hits on people buying it, and it says, hey, five people that bought this book also bought Jack Murphy's book. Oh yeah, I'll take an interest. So right. it's kind of like an ecology. You know, that makes a lot of sense. Like uh, Jerry Pernell's blog, you know, uh, on the sidebar, he, uh, he has, uh, I think it's semi-random, but uh, a couple of his books that are e-published, you know, it's like, you know, buy it as a Nook, buy it as an Amazon thing. Right. Um, uh, just on the side there. So it's like, you know, you click on that, you're not going to accidentally get the wrong copy. Right, right. So, Which? Yeah, you're right. Advertising, it's like, if I want to generate sales, um, you know, I, I've got... Uh, I, I go out there and I buy a few copies to hand out myself, and I buy them through the store. Right, right. You know, and then I've generated that. You know, it's not uh, not even just a matter of using shills to say, "Hey, comment great for me," but uh, just well, saying, it, it, to, to some like, exactly to some extent, it. you could do that. You could yeah. you could just like take the file that you own and you say, "Hey, if I if you read my book, make a comment on Amazon for me." Yeah, and that's been happening for years. They people will give. Uh, uh, I can't remember the for, the industry term for it, but there's a website out there that this company gets all these free books from publishers, and then a list of bloggers and other uh, book reviewers, semi-professional or professional otherwise, then get the free book, read it, and then review it. Yeah. So it, it's it's part of the advertising game. Me myself, once I'm done and I'm up on Amazon or and wherever else I'm going to publish it, I was going to get USB sticks. Mm-hmm. With all the book file formats on it, and pass it out to people, yeah, with instructions on where and how to make a comment if uh, if they would. Yeah. So we'll see how that works out. So yeah, advertising is a good way of overcoming that. So. Well, yeah, I, I would hope it is. I mean, but is this a fear, or is this really going on right now? It is apparently going on in a limited amount, but it's starting to ramp up. I think. Um, once people realize they can make money off of it um, to enough degree that they can automate it, you know, or, uh, you know, hire the, the uh, stereotypical, you know, uh, underpaid Chinese guy, you know, running 15 computers in a dark room somewhere, um, to, to the point where they can automi- automate it enough to make consistent income then I think it'll become a problem. But I think before that happens, that the, you know, the publishers like Amazon and stuff like that will be able to fix it. Because literally that problem could be solved just by charging a nominal fee to publish a book. Well, it wouldn't, and you know, like we said just a minute ago, quality and piracy, just a, you know, ripping a book and posting it on the internet for download, it can be a poor quality. Wouldn't this be as well? I mean, just in my own research, it costs, if you want to do top-notch, have top-notch editing as an independent mm-hmm. p- publisher or an independent author self-publishing, 
about around a thousand dollars. You're gonna pay about three hundred dollars for top notch editing. You're gonna pay about three to four hundred dollars for a top notch book cover. You're gonna pay three to four hundred dollars for somebody to convert your file into all ebook formats and make sure it's properly sized, dimensioned, all that kind of stuff. Right. So if if you got somebody who rips your book and the only thing they're doing is putting on a new cover, basically, isn't that cover gonna? It's gonna be clear that it's just a pathetic cover. No, it doesn't have to be. You know, I mean, it can can be a halfway decent cover. But that adds the cost. That adds to the barrier to entry. Because now yeah. he has to spend an hour or two looking for a proper picture to do. Not necessarily. Hmm. Okay. I mean, um, they could just change the words. Uh, and some of them, you know, I don't even know if they have to bother with that. What if What if I just simply copied the, the e-file and published it in all the categories that you didn't? Same cover, same author, same everything, but now I'm getting the income from it for when somebody clicks on it. Because I set up another account. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, and there has been a case at least, and I can't remember. I think it's Dan Coons. He has a there's a, a a plagiarist in his genre that literally will rip a page out of someone else's book mm-hmm. and structure a story around it. And it may not be the same story, but but there's like word for word rip off right. in some like Stephen King's book or Dan Coons' book or something like that. And they've taken a task on Amazon and so forth over it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where they stand. I haven't bothered to follow up, but yeah, I mean, it takes a lot of labor to filter those things out ahead of time. The whole publishing industry is set up um, right now. You know, traditional legacy publishing is set up to where um, you can't publish until you get approved. Right now, publishing eBooks on Amazon, um, the approval process is automatic. All you require is an account to be set up. And then you, you put up a, a book. It doesn't even have to be formatted well, and it's out there. Now, what? Uh, and then it takes effort to have it removed. What? What? Uh, not a, to assuage fears a little bit for people who are like, "Crap, is it really worth it?" It's still very much worth it. There are still mm-hmm. things you can do. You could create a Google alert to alert you whenever something referenced your book title, name, or just come up with a slew of things that reference your work. And if somebody makes a comment, then you'll get a Google alert. I do that for our podcast. Yeah. Um, so whenever the sequence of the League of Unextraordinary Gentlemen meets, it comes to me. So the other thing you can do, or the other thing to think about, is that even in traditional publishing, this is a problem. Mm-hmm. It's particularly a problem in autobiographies. Uh, or, yeah, autobiographies or works of that sort. People making up things that happen to them and editors and publishers not properly vetting it. The question is, should they be properly vetting this? Do How much do they take on faith that the person did? Mm-hmm. And there's been some well-named ones recently. Um, and even in the military, it's going to bound to happen that, that some... There's been a lot of military vets that have faked who they were or what they did mm-hmm. to for gain. And without a doubt, that's going to happen soon. When someone, someone who's faked a military career is going to write a book. So it happens. Um, yeah. So we'll see. I, I, I believe that if it happens in the ebook world, the readers will flush it out. To some degree. I, I think there's a higher noise ratio, your noise to signal ratio, um, in the ebook world, but I don't think it's insurmountable. And I think, I think one of those things is before you put your book up on Amazon or wherever you're going to post it, you start 
promoting it and pumping it on the internet beforehand. Yep. Through a blog, through Facebook, blah, blah, blah. That way there's like a month or two record ahead of time that says, hey, you wrote this book, here it is. Right. And, um, you know, any, it, as soon as you have to start you know, pulling in lawyers to defend things, it's, it's a lost cause. But, um, you know, the whole thing is it, it doesn't have to be that much of a, a problem. Um, part of it's being a target, you know. If you've got, uh, you know, a tricked-out BMW, you know, with tinted windows and a $10,000 sound system, and, uh, you know, you, you know, you're out, always out parking it, you know, late at night uh, in odd places, well, chances are somebody's going to, you know, at least think about stealing it. Right. You've got this beater car that barely functions and you don't go out very often, nobody's going to target it. Why would somebody try and rip off my book? Right. Yeah, right. And it's like, you know, I might not even make any money off of it. Why are they going to try it? They're going to want to rip off right. something that they think they can get more hits off of. Right. But it's an interesting, you got to think about it. Being a self-published author, yeah. you're going to have to, we're going to have to think about these things. And I think before it becomes a serious problem where it would actually interfere with the ability it'll clean to itself become up. an author, I think it'll clean itself up. You, you know, you tend to think that the users in the market will do it. Um, I think that you know, with the the limited problem that we have right now, would simply be solved by even a five or ten dollar fee to publish a book. Um, well, not just to publish a book, but let's say to hold a uh, merchant's account. Right. You know, just something like that. Yeah. Know, to be able to you know to be able to sell, it doesn't have to have the eBay model. It doesn't have to be a flea market. You know, it could be uh, a craft show. You pay a certain amount for a table. Yeah, yeah. That's the problem with Amazon. It's a flea market. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you change it to the craft show model where everybody pays a certain amount for the table, you know, before you ever get in there. And you kind of, you make it harder for them, something for that I right. got to think about. Or the flea markets, it's like the table's free, but a cut of your sales goes to us. Right. You know, you, you turn it around where you got to pay up front and that up front cost immediately the, the pirates is not worthwhile. Yeah. Pirates and the plagiarists. Well, we're uh, coming up on time now, so uh, let's quick go over what we're going to do over the holidays so our listeners got it. Right. Uh, well, let me ask you this question now. Can you do something Thursday or Friday? Um, yeah. Okay. Well, then let's leave it at that because then we could do another episode, put it out just before Christmas. All right. Um, so, but then we won't talk at all. We'll probably see each other, but we won't do this again until after New Year. So one more episode, then we won't come back the first week of January. Right. So then it'll be season two. That's right. Uh, then, um, of course, anything that survives into the second season is worthwhile. And then the last thing I want to talk about is Unless that I think we're going to get a sponsor. Really? Yeah. My my goal was always to get advertising in some way so that we could take this to the next level. Really more of our online presence. Mm-hmm. I want to move to a more professional blog so that it looks better. We can do more things with it. We could actually... Does that mean you're going to check for typos before you hit the publish button? I don't have typos. Okay. I just make up new words. I see. Okay. See, get with the authorship here, man. Right. Uh, so I'm going to give you a stocking full of punctuation <laughs> for this. <laughs> but don't you find it cute how I ignore the red squiggly lines? No. no I, I'm going to give you a stocking full of punctuation that you can use anywhere you like. Oh, so I can use apostrophes all the time now? You can use them wherever you like, yes. Um, but it's so that we can have room so when our books are get, I mean, in the scheme of things, we're getting close to finishing our books. Mm-hmm. We need a place to advertise that. We need a place right. to, so that we can do some more. But that's going to cost money. And let's, let's see if we can't 
have this be a self-contained environment. Sure. Uh, so I don't want to mention who the sponsor is. They still have to listen to a couple of our episodes, look at the blog, see if we ever match, and move forward. But it will not. It will be perfectly in line with the theme of this, and uh, I think it'll be good. All right. Uh, other than that, thanks for listening to the League of Unextraordinary Gentlemen. And we'll see you soon. Wow, are you ready yet? <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> yes, I think I am now. I think I. But I can always lean closer to the microphone. Thank you for listening to the League of Unextraordinary Gentlemen. 